time. Ow! It's the rocking, shocking, new way of horror. Howling 2. It's not over yet. Welcome to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael, say hello. Hello. And I'm Claire. In this episode, we're caught up in the seedy underbelly of the 80s Los Angeles club scene, while simultaneously travelling through Soviet-occupied Eastern Europe on a mission to save mankind from a sinister power. Michael, what's the movie? You're right, Claire. We're taking our first trip to Transylvania. What I'm very excited about, seeing the amount of horror films we have covered and we've never been to Transylvania. (laughs) We're off to investigate a missing sister. Lots of monkey werewolves, so they're described Mm -hmm. in this movie. A lot of unnecessary boobies and orgies. And a career decision for Christopher Lee, only to be described as meh. This is Howling 2, Your Sister is a werewolf. I'm oh. so excited. Oh, yeah, great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So before we get started, do you want to tell how we ended up picking this movie? So I did not choose this movie. Michael did, I. did not choose this movie. This movie <laughs> was suggested to us quite a long time ago, actually. This movie has been on our list for a long time. Yes. Um, and it was suggested to us by lovely Richard over at Richard's World of Horror on Instagram. I don't know why Richard wanted us to watch this movie and talk about this movie, but shall we find out from Richard himself? Oh my God, what is that? Don't bring that near me. No, it can't be. It is. It's the Unlust Sequels Halloween Mailbag. Hi Claire. Hi Michael. I'm Richard. You can find me on Instagram as Richard's World of Horror. And I was hoping you'd review one of my favourite unloved sequels, The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. It was actually the very first horror movie that I ever bought, and it's one I'm always happy to revisit. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this weird little film, and I genuinely hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. Thanks. So there we have it. Thank you, Richard, for your suggestion. Here we are, covering the movie. I hope you like right. the episode. I hope everyone else likes the episode. I hope yeah. enough people have seen this movie to actually want to listen to this episode because it's fairly niche. But if you're into <laughs> horror, actually, in fairness, I think if you're into horror, yeah, no, you should 100%. watch this movie. It is because like it spun another six, seven sequels out of it. So, you know, it's it must have yeah. it must have a niche market to make that many sequels it's, afterwards. It's got quite a cult following behind it these days. It's um yes. It's definitely not mainstream, let's say. So tell us about the movie, Michael. Give us a bit of info. Okay, so it opened in Europe on August the 28th, 1985, and in the US on limited release in late December 1985 as well. Uh, There is kind of like, some people say January, some people say the 25th of December, but it's in that ballpark. But it's stretched over Mm. a two-year release. It was released in different regions over a a two-year period because and i think that's yeah. mainly to do is because 
they didn't produce a lot of reels of this movie. So it's easy to, to use reels that have really been watched and used by a region yeah. and then ship it on to the next one. So it saves money on producing lots of unnecessary reels. Yeah, we've um, had this before with other movies, haven't we? From this yeah, mainly low-G and also horror. It's quite common in like low-budget movies in horror. Um, it had a budget of $2 million. I don't know where they spent that money, but yeah, $2 million. <laughs> a lot of fake fur. Um, there is no final box office figures for this because it over it, no one probably gave a fuck to even look it up and write it down at the time. But I'm assuming it made money. I can tell you that it made 107k on the Screen Factory re-release of the Blu-ray in 2015. So that that made a big chunk of cash. So there is a market for this. So for one Blu-ray release from a small independent film distributor, what is Shout Factory? What is about the Screen Factory? And when when did that come out? Did you say 2015? 2015. Yeah. So 30 years after the movie was released. It made money because Spring Factory is all region locked. They only work in America and North America. So it's region one. So it's only going to be sold over in this mm. area unless you've got an un- a region unlocked Blu-ray DV player. Um, so that's quite impressive. In England, uh, another company called Arrow released it. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the copy you got? Um, and also... It's right next to me on my desk right at this you. very moment. Because I had to bring... So let me just tell the guy. So... I watched this last year when we just when Richard first suggested it for the episode. And then Claire couldn't get a copy of it. And we couldn't find a copy online. And they're all extremely overpriced. The Screen Factory copy is actually on Amazon at the moment for $205 sealed, brand new. So if you want a copy of it, it's discontinued now. It's out of print. Uh, you can buy a second-hand copy. I've got a copy. DM me in and give me an offer. No, that's the Arrow, not the Screen Factory. The Arrow is oh, worth yeah, 12 yeah, bucks. Oh, yeah, 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 Okay. So the, the Arrow version is like £12 on Amazon because that's still in print. But as much as we don't know how much this film made, we know that director Philip Mora was invited back to direct The Howling Free. So it must have made a profit down the line. Mm-hmm. And it also the movie, the home release version of this movie, even though it had limited cinema release, came out during the massive boom in home rental. So the mm. original movie, The Howling, did extremely well. And then this would have lent over to people going into blockbusters and seeing The Howling 2 on the shelf and going, oh, do you remember the first one? A lot yeah. of people must have sat down and gone, what the fuck am I watching? This is nothing like the first movie. <laughs> so this movie has no record of charting in the box office in 85, 86, due to its split release. But so it wasn't even in the top, 50 grossing movies of them two years. So mm-hmm. I imagine it not box office wise, not doing well, maybe home rental doing even better. So, but the top 10 grossing movies of 1985 are as follows. At number 10, we have Spies Like Us, the Dan Aykroyd movie and Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, number nine is The Goonies. I was quite surprised that was so way down the list. It's a classic. Oh yeah, that is quite low. I thought it'd be higher than that, but it wasn't. Number eight was Harrison Ford with The Witness. Uh, okay. A thriller I haven't seen. Number seven is a, a rather favourite of my husband and I's, The Jewel in the Nile, that I kind of oh, like I prefer. I prefer. I like those movies more for um, Indiana Jones movies. I think they oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They're, they're, they're classics. I think they are. I think it's the chemistry between them two. Between yeah, yeah. We rewatched them during lockdown. 
I like those movies. So Number six is a favorite of mine that people don't really talk about that much. Um, and I would love to cover the sequel one day, Cocoon. Oh, I like that movie. I haven't seen that for years. And we should sequel, do that. The, the sequel, yeah, we should, because the sequel completely bombed. Number five is Out of Africa. Number four uh-huh. is The Color Purple, Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. May first major, major movie role. Uh, number three is Rocky Four. Number two is Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Sylvester Lane was raking it in in 1985, uh-huh. as you can probably get there. His two main franchises doing very yeah. well. And at number one, we should have seen this one coming, Back to the Future. Of course. Of course. So, yeah, I can see why Howling 2 didn't make it onto that list. Yeah, yeah. And original ideas, not many sequels. I think there's only like, what is there, one sequel in that? One sequel. They're very yeah. different to the box office today. Really Absolutely. different. Absolutely. Another film come out in 1985 that didn't make the top 10, and we've already covered it, in a previous episode. Claire, do you remember what movie that was? Oh, bloody hate pop quizzes. That's not true. I love pop quizzes, but I hate your pop quizzes because you always pick things that I'm not going to know the answer to. I'm just going to scroll back through my notes and see if I can find it. No, don't cheat. Don't cheat. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. It's probably so long ago that I was, when I was back when I was doing it in handwritten notes instead of on the laptop, and so I won't be able to find it anyway. Definitely. Oh, was it earlier on? Yeah, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I've got back as far. She's as cheating. Last Stop Halloween. cheating. This is where she used to. F- <laughs> this is what happened when her and her husband used to be in a pub quiz. after work when they used to work. No, I, I never cheated in a pub quiz. And you I, just I, sometimes. Very dare you. you I have never in my no, life cheated in a have... pub quiz. I don't know what movie did we cover that was from 1985. No, I can't she remember. often she did text me movie questions. Never in her. my life. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> lies. Sue you for defamation. <laughs> Whatever. And Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Part oh, two, of course. Revenge. Our very first record. Our very first recording when we had another co-host. Seems like a mile, years ago now. It was years ago. Oh. It was a year ago. Over a year ago now. So that's weird. Also, other unloved movie sequels that were released that year. Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. And something that I really want to cover, but you're terrified of. Oh, not um, bloody <laughs> Return to Oz. Bingo! Not doing Return to Oz. We are not doing Return to Oz. I do think we should do that next year on the release of Wicked, though. Mm, maybe. <laughs> no, but this time probably not get... so bad watching it sober. I'm a lot more sober yeah. than I was when I first watched it with you. So it probably yeah, won't be such a weird movie. Mm. I'm not too sure. <laughs> maybe the, I'm certainly maybe... not going to watch it with the kids, that's for sure. Uh, I used to love that film. Okay, so two other famous werewolf movies also came out this year. What also described why this movie did not perform as expected in the box office. Two other werewolf movies came out this year that did not make the top ten. Michael J. Fox's Teen Wolf and Stephen King's movie. Silver Bullet. So yes. we Both were quite... arguably better than this movie. <laughs> Don't give your results away yet. Arguably, I didn't say in my opinion. Arguably, the general consensus might be that those two movies are objectively better than this one. The Howling 2 was banned in Finland, what I found quite interesting. Yeah, I don't know why. Do you know why? Well, they didn't really say. It was more kind of like they had... It's a bit of a funny subject because after the Second World War, they put a ban into movies about showing negative views on religion. 
Right. So they were because it's because it's so heavily religious based with stuff with the priests and stuff. They felt that mm-hmm. it wouldn't be relevant. But I didn't go and look at what other movies were banned during that period of time. But mm. they, it was quite an interesting. It was quite, quite. It just randomly came up that Finland banned it. Yeah, that's random. How weird. Also in Ontario in Canada. The Ontario version has missing a number of scenes, mainly to do with the priestess, because they had massive issues with the, pre- the way the priest died in that movie as well. Oh, so it I mean, that was harsh. The way he died was harsh. Spoiler, the priest dies. With a paper mache bat thing that I could have made. I think I've got something in my basement <laughs> I've made out of paper mache for Halloween that looks exactly <laughs> like that. Um <laughs> This is the first of seven sequels, as we mentioned before. The last being being The Howling Reborn, that was released in 2011, which is actually credited to the novel of The Howling 2. It was supposed to be... Howling Reborn was supposed to be a reboot for the franchise. And I watched it yesterday because I was like, I owned it. Um... Mm. Do you know what? It actually had like a carry two vibe to it. It went down the whole high school route. Okay. It was trying to lead into that. I I I enjoyed it. It's not very well well made, but for a straight to DVD release, it wasn't that bad. I've seen worse. Okay. So currently on Rotten Tomatoes, The Howling Two: Your Sister Is a Werewolf has a Rotten Tomato score of critics of thirty one percent. An audience fourteen percent. I find that interesting that the critics prefer it to the audience. Yeah, no, well, yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be the other way around at all. I really thought it would be that the uh, critics would be a bit more. What I said, and then the audience go, "Oh man, it's so cool." Yeah. Well, no. clearly not. No. So, or just people haven't watched it, or the people who have watched it haven't gone on to Rotten Tomatoes to get that percentage yeah. up. Yeah. Because they're too stoned after watching it to type. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, Claire. Yes. I'm afraid to ask. Do you have any behind the scenes stuff for us? <laughs> literally she's pushing rolling. my sleeves up. <laughs> yeah, she's literally pushing her sleeves up. I'm terrified. So, let's start, as we always do, with the cast and creative team. This bit won't take long. Um, okay. Returning cast. None. None at all. <laughs> uh, that was easy. So the character of Karen White, who I don't think is named as Karen White in the first movie. I think she's just named as Karen in the first yep. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this movie, she's called Karen White. I think she's even given a middle name, but I can't remember what it is. Betty or something. We'll call um, her Bet. All right, Bet. I'll go Bet. Anyway, she is in the movie as a corpse, but she's not played by the same actress as in the original movie she is recast with Hannah Ludvikova and she I mean she does more she's first seen sort of in the casket at her funeral and I wrote down in my notes like why have they given her an open casket if they've recast just give her a closed Mm. casket and it doesn't matter that she looks completely different but actually as you watch the movie she does she becomes reanimated so there is an element of performance although I think there's no dialogue for her but we also see her we see her transformation we see Karen's transformation from the end of the previous movie, but it's again, it's not the footage from the original movie. They've reshot it, presumably mm-hmm. with the new actress and with new werewolf effects. Possibly because maybe they thought if they used the original footage from the first movie, 
it would highlight how different the werewolf effects are in yeah. this movie to the first one. So the transformation looks very different because the effect is is delivered in a very different way. But yeah, so there, although that one character carries over, there is no continu- continuity of actors or creative team in mm-hmm. the second movie. In terms of new cast, we've got Christopher Lee, as you mentioned, coming in as Stefan. We've got Annie McEnroe as Jenny. We've got Reb Brown as Ben, who is the brother of Karen from the previous movie. That is our connection between movie one and this one. We've got Marsha A. Hunt in as Mariana and we have got Sybil Danning as Sturber. This movie is directed by Philippe Mora. He has made loads of movies he started out um predominantly doing documentaries and then moved on into making feature films it's quite an extensive list if you look at his imdb profile but there's not a lot on there that you would necessarily have heard of yeah he did as you mentioned direct the howling three as well and he's currently got seven movies listed in pre-production on imdb which seems like a lot yeah, it does. Isn't he like 90? I don't think he's quite as old as that, but he's he's not a young man. I mean, you know, he was an established filmmaker in the early 80s, yeah. um, which whether we like it or not, I'm afraid was 40 years ago. So, yes, he must be of advancing years. So whether these seven movies are going to make it into production, who knows? The movie has writing credits for two writers. So Gary Brandner gets a, a credit as based on the novel Howling 2 by, so he was the original novelist of Howling and Howling 2. Yeah. Um, he also has a screenplay credit on the movie. And then Robert Sarno also has a screenplay credit on this movie. And I will explain a bit more about that relationship a bit later on. You're looking at me like you want to say something. Philippe is 74. 74. It's still working. Fair play. Six movies, though. Life expectancy. <laughs> He's clearly got high ambitions. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. Uh, So the music for the movie was written by Steve Parsons. He has another fairly extensive CV, but again, nothing that's particularly reached the mainstream. But it is notable that Steve Parsons is the lead singer of Babel, which is the band that features quite heavily through this movie. Ooh. Yes. Shall we show it? Shall we play a little clip for the listeners just to say, just in case? Let's you... listen. Let's listen to Babel singing Howling. Days and days after watching this. In fairness, I kind of feel like the more you listen, the the better it becomes. Or I don't know, maybe it's like the musical equivalent of Stockholm Syndrome. They just drum you with it so heavily through this movie that by the end you're like, yeah, this is the bop. And actually maybe it isn't and you're just so desperate for something by the end of the movie that you're clinging on to this movie. Um, Also, in fairness, he was given two days to write and record that song. So if you look at it as two days work, it's not bad. That's true. 
Very yeah. well done. Very done. Yeah. Didn't see it nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Song, though, so, you know. Mm. No, that didn't happen. You're quite right. <laughs> now, in terms of production of the movie itself, um, yeah. following the release of the first movie, The Howling, uh, Gary Brandner, who, as I said before, was the author of the original source material, purchased all the franchise and sequel rights from New World Pictures because he was so pissed off with how the first film had treated his original novel. It's yep. it's not a very close adaptation by all accounts. I haven't read it. I have watched the first movie. I haven't read the book. Um, but by all accounts, it's not a very close adaptation. And Gary Brantner wasn't very happy with the way the movie turned out. So he decided that he was going to write and produce a sequel himself. And he started to write a screenplay that was closely, more closely related to his novel series. Yeah. He produced several drafts for this and ended up going into collaboration with Hemdale Film Corporation, which was a company known at the time for sort of lower budget, but well-received films, things like The Terminator and Return of the Living Dead. Um, Hemdale and Branner then signed a deal with a Spanish production company to finance the movie on the grounds that the film would be shot on location in Spain. So Branner had to go and do some fairly extensive rewrites to make that fit in with the new location. Once he'd done all the rewrites, the finance deal fell through. So he had to do yet more re rewrites and relocate the setting once again. Um, at one point, they were looking at Romania, but there was a lot of ongoing political unrest in Romania. So they ended up moving production to Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Once all of that was settled, not long after, um, Gary Brantner's editors for his book series, his publishers, sorry, moved up his deadline for the third novel mm. and so in order to meet that deadline he left production on the movie so he walked away to finish his third howling novel Hemsdale then hired Robert Sarno to go through yep. Gary Brandner's drafts and try and put something together they wanted to rush the principal photography through to sort of spring 1984 to try and release in autumn 1984 which as we now know from what you told us earlier didn't happen um, but what actually happened is that Robert Sarno basically discarded all of Gary Brandner's work and dug out a script that he had already written himself about vampires. And I think he basically just went through and crossed out every time it said vampire and wrote werewolf in. And this is before the days of replace word on your laptop. I well. know. Um, I know. You couldn't right. just go onto your laptop and go find and replace. He had to. He so went that through. means... That he had to reread his script to replace Vampire with Werewolf on his old freaking computer that probably didn't have any internet on it whatsoever. Probably printed it on that paper that had the little dots up the sides that we used mm -hmm. to use at school. And That's still probably what thought... took the extra year, pushed the production back. So they, they wanted to release Autumn 84. It took an extra year just for him to go through and find all the places where it said Vampire and change it to Werewolf. And and he still thought that after rereading the shit script that this is the direction <laughs> they should go yeah, in. This like, is the I one. Re I personally don't re reread any of the shit scripts I write because I know they're shit. But he I've obviously did some of your scripts before. Oh jeez, Campertech. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not necessarily ready to film. I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. 
<laughs> and maybe that was the case with this. No, yeah. I mean, he reworked it. I don't think he just literally changed the word vampire to werewolf, but he basically took the script that he'd already got and reworked it to become this movie. Yeah. Now, Joe Dante, who was director of The Howling, was yeah. never in consideration for this movie, predominantly because of how much Gary Brantner had been pissed off with how the first movie had been made. Even though the first movie um, was a huge success. And yes, even though much. the first movie was a huge success. Um, I don't think it helped that Joe Dante went on record as saying that he thought that the movie was better than the book. I think yeah, that's that the thing that pissed him. off the writer. So yeah. he was never invited back because obviously at this point, Gary Brandner had a lot more creative control because he was writing the movie mm. and was closely tied to the producers so he was never invited back and so instead we got philippe mora there were plans to bring the character marcia quist from the howling into this movie now if you've seen the howling you will know that she is the one surviving werewolf character from the yeah. first movie we see her in a little um post was it a post credit scene i think or was it just before the credits i'm trying to remember i think it's just before the credits but it's it, there's a little final scene in which we we learn that Marsha has survived um, mm. the death of all of her compatriots at the uh, what did they call it? It's not a commune, wherever it is, the place. Alt farm. The, <laughs> that's not what they called it in the movie, but that's what we mean. Anyway, Elizabeth Brooks had played Marsha in the first movie, and she yeah. declined to return for the second movie. Now, at the time, this was possibly attributed to the fact that she'd recently been diagnosed with cancer at that point so wasn't working yeah. because she was undergoing treatment but there are also accounts that actually one of the main reasons that she declined was that she was really annoyed that in the first movie she hadn't wanted to appear nude at all they persuaded right. her um and we've heard versions of this story so many times particularly in the 80s they persuaded her oh well we'll just have you naked for this one scene and it will be by the fire and all the smoke from the fire and the flickering flames will completely obscure so we won't be able to see anything it will just yeah. be silhouettes and it will be very you know very tasteful and of course we know because we've watched the movie that you actually see her fully naked in the movie the the fire is there but it's not obscuring anything and she was really pissed no. off about that so that is quite possibly one of the reasons that she declined to return for this movie and i think if that is the reason that she didn't want to be in the movie she probably made the right choice having seen how this movie yeah. turned out hmm. so the character of marcia quist was replaced with the character mariana who was played by marcia a hunt in the movie now you said something earlier about uh monkey werewolves didn't you yes so friend. the monkey werewolves. There is a bit in the movie where um, Christopher Lee's character, Stefan, explains that man basically de-evolves before turning into werewolf. It, it kind of it goes man, monkey, werewolf. Yes. Which uh, I think is a, a, a scene that's received by people either like half of the population go, to what now? And the other half go, oh, genius, man, monkey, werewolf. It explains mm. it so clearly for the first time. I'm not necessarily yeah. in that camp, but I think there are a few people who kind of thought this was a genius thing that they put into this movie. Now, the reason that this came about was because they were filming in Czechoslovakia, which was Soviet-occupied Eastern Europe, behind the Iron Curtain. It was very difficult getting things to set. 
and yeah. a lot of stuff was delayed in arriving. And one of the things that was delayed in arriving was the werewolf suits. And when it finally arrived, this big box arrived with the suits in, and on the side it said Planet of the Apes. And Philippe <laughs> Morrow was like, what the fuck? Um, and they basically, there was a TV series of Planet of the Apes and they that had yeah. clearly stopped being made and they just, the company just sent these suits and were like, yeah, fuck it, that'll do. And he was like, but this is not a monkey movie. This is a werewolf movie. How are we <laughs> supposed to make a werewolf movie with monkey costumes? Make it work, went, bitch. <laughs> basically, make it work, bitch. They were like, ah, you're good at your job. You're a talented man. Like blowing as much smoke up their ass as they could. You'll make it work. And he was like, this has got nothing to do with talent. You've sent me monkey suits for a werewolf movie. <laughs> monkey werewolves. Uh, so Christopher Lee came along and said, you know, well, darling, just film a scene and in which I will explain that man de-evolves into monkey before turning into werewolf. So that's what they did. And that's why it's in the movie. And that's why the werewolves look like monkeys. Yeah. Because that's what they had to work with. They didn't have the time or budget to try and do anything about these costumes. The studio clearly were not prepared to try and fix the situation. And he was just told, like you said, deal with it, bitch. Make the movie. Yeah. So he had to make the movie. Now, Christopher Lee, while we're on the subject of him, he, he said in an interview at the time of this movie's American release that his reason for accepting the role was because he'd not been in a werewolf movie before. He was a king of the horror genre at this point. Yeah. He had played every kind of monster going, but he hadn't at this point in his career been in a werewolf movie. So this was a chance to kind of add that to his horror movie bingo card. But then by the time he was cast in uh, Gremlins 2 in 1990, one of the first things he did was apologise to Joe Dante because Joe Dante directed Gremlins, Gremlins 2 as well as directing The Howling. Um, he also directed so Gremlins. Lee, He's... He did the whole of the Gremlins franchise. Yeah, Christopher Lee apologised to Joe Dante for his involvement in Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. So he clearly doesn't regard this as one of the high points of his career. I think it's more to do with the fact of he was at that weird age in Hollywood where you are no longer the age of a leading man and you can't play Dracula or sell tickets and he's not old enough to play Grandad. So it's in yeah. that weird kind of like 50s to 60s age where no one wants to see you snog younger people and no one wants to see you no. be a granddad. So you were, and he yeah. just took it for a paycheck. I'm 99% sure he just took it for a paycheck. A paycheck's a paycheck. We all need them. So exactly. um, I have no criticism for that. Should we talk about Sybil Danning's tits for a bit? What, 17 <laughs> seconds of it? Your it? face is like, if we have to. Well, I mean, they, they do feature quite heavily. In the movie. Yeah. Uh, so Sybil Danning uh, had done quite a lot of movies prior to this in which she was topless or nude. And she was getting a little bit over that. And so she wanted to remain fully clothed for this role. She right. clearly didn't learn from what happened to the actress in the previous movie who wanted Did to not, not be she not watch the previous naked. movie? <laughs> clearly not. Um the producers obviously disagreed. I'm assuming they probably cast her on the basis of her being happy to get naked in all the other movies that she'd been in. Yeah. Uh, so they were quite keen to to see the, the business in this movie. And so they reached a compromise in which she would do one single topless shot. And if you watch the movie, there's a lot of boobs in this movie, but mm -hmm. of Sybil Danning, 
there is one single topless shot. Yes. What she didn't realise was that that single topless shot was going to get used in the closing credits. So Philippe Mora decided that he um, he was going to do this kind of montage over the end credits of various scenes from the movie. And he was liberal with his use of that particular shot. I think his original edit had it five times. Yeah. And then once he had left production and gone to start on his next movie, he got a phone call from the producers saying, oh, we love what you did with the end credits. Um, do you think it would be okay if we, you know, it's really funny what you did with the topless scenes because of the way they cut it, because you get her rip off her shirt and then you see someone pulling a funny, a reaction shot to something else in the movie, but they make it look like a reaction shot to her boobs. And he did a few versions of that and they they rang him and said, oh, that was really funny. I think, do you think we could do it a little bit more? And he was like, yeah, I guess so, probably not realising that they would put her breasts in the closing credit sequence 17 times. So Philippe Mm. Mora didn't know this was going to happen, although I don't think it bothered him that it happened because it's not his boobs, and he found the whole thing quite funny. Um, More importantly, Sybil Danning didn't know that this was going to happen. It wasn't until she saw the movie for the first time that she was like, oh, oh, there's that, oh. 17 times apparently she was livid she tried to have it stopped but the producer she obviously hadn't got the right clauses in her contract to be able to stop the producers from releasing and i think in the end she just took the attitude it's a bit like with sharon stone in basic instinct we talked about this in our basic instinct 2 episode that you know her um crotch shot for want of a better expression was filmed under the guise of, oh, your pants are causing flare on the cameras, so we need to take them off. But it's fine, you won't see it in the film. And then, of course, it's one of the most iconic Iconic. scenes in the film. But by the time it's been made, it's like, well, what are you going to do? It exists. Exactly. Go on, try and stop us, woman versus movie production company in the 80s or in the 90s in the case of um, Basic Instinct there was no way that she would have won that fight. So I think she just decided to gracefully accept defeat. And actually to the point that when the movie came out on, uh, I think it was its DVD release in 2005, she was straight on the phone to Philippe Mora saying, we should make a sequel to Howling 2. And, you know, she had a treatment written. I don't know where she'd got this treatment from that she'd have been sitting on it for 30 years, God knows. And they approached Gary Brandner and Gary Brandner said, no. No, go and make your own movies. Stop making shit movies out of my stories, basically. So that didn't happen. No. Um, The thing about this movie is that Philippe Mora, I think, wanted it to be a bit more tongue-in-cheek than it ended up being. It seems to me like the producers did quite a lot of work on this movie after he had moved on to his next project. So he turned in his director's cut, which I don't think exists as a thing that you can watch. I don't think it's accessible publicly. But um, apparently it was a much more tongue-in-cheek, much more sort of satirical, almost pastiche type movie. And Mm. then the studio re-edited it into something that they felt was much more serious. So I think that might be why there's a lot of choppy editing in this movie. And I wonder if that's... Oh my God, the editing... Something to do with it. Um, The one last thing I'm going to mention is the title, because the actual title of this movie is Howling 2, Sturber, Werewolf Bitch. 
but that is not the title you gave us at the beginning of the of the episode because the the movie is more widely known by the title howling to your sister is a werewolf this is because the mpaa would not let a movie go on to release that had the word bitch in the title so in europe where shit like that does not bother us it was called howling to stirb a werewolf bitch and then for the american release it was retitled they did have a few other titles in mind stirb a she-wolf bark at the moon it's not over yet which i think appears as a tagline or in one of the trailers or something but then they settled on howling to your sister is a werewolf what just leads to confusion when you watch it that's my issue with that title i'm just so confused by because you expect to go and watch it and it opens up with your sister is a werewolf from christopher lee you're like oh we're going oh no that's not that sister it's a completely different sister we're focusing on here. Well, it's a twist, isn't it? It's a twist. Is it, though? I was a bit like, oh. By the end of the twist came out, I was like, really didn't care. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd clocked quite a long time before we got to the twist that Stefan... Mm. And I presume that's supposed to be the case, that Stefan and Sturba are siblings. She refers to him as my brother. Yes, I think they are. And so I think that is a literal reference to my brother, although their relationship is yeah. a little bit... If they're brother and sister, there's some weird shit going on. It's a little bit Rocky Horror, yeah, Riff Raff, Magenta shit going on there, if they are yes, actually no, brother and sister. But I weird. think you're right. I think the intention is supposed to be that they are brother and sister, and therefore his sister is a werewolf. Do you yeah. see what they did there? Do yeah, because the sister at the beginning dies. I never understood why the brother... Because I originally used to think that the sister who's at the beginning, the character rolling over from the first film. Yeah. Because it starts off with that. And then I used to think that she went to Transylvania and then the Grand High Werewolf sucked the life as an old lady out of her. But it's a different character. Yes. It's just some virgin. So I never understood yes. why the brother went to Transylvania with the news report woman no. and why the fuck the both were there. I was, I was like... Oh, what's going yes. on? So that was one of the things. So my two big things that I find confusing about the movie, mm. I think, I mean, I think really it's best to not give this movie too much thought and just let it happen no. around you. And then you're less likely to end up confused because there's a lot of potential confusion in this movie. But yeah. yes, one of the things that I was confused about was, as you say, why have these two, I, I get why Christopher Lee goes to Transylvania because this is his mission. Sister and his sister. Um, Why is he dragging these two randos along with them? Because it's got nothing to do with like, yes, his sister's a werewolf, but she gone. Yeah. So, but then that leads me to my second thing about this movie that I found confusing. Either I stopped paying attention and my brain just collapsed and I'd missed it, or they didn't explain how she became reanimated. Because at the end of the first movie, she gets shot with a silver bullet doesn't she? So how does she end up coming back to life as a werewolf again when she was killed with a silver bullet, which according to the first movie is how you kill the werewolves? Yes. I don't know. I wish I could tell you. That's okay. I just suddenly thought like, I don't want to have to go back and rewatch this whole movie to see if I missed that piece of information. But I I didn't get any explanation from the movie of how the sister wasn't dead when she should have been dead because she got shot with a silver bullet at the end of the first movie. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, fine. That's fine. If it's not covered, it's not covered. If it is covered, if anyone listening has watched this movie... But was the end of the first movie a dream she was having? Wasn't she wake up after that? I don't remember. I need to watch the first movie name. No. 
No. No, that's I know what you did last summer. Oh, I know that. (laughs) Fucking hell. And pretty much every other horror movie, but I don't recall. Yeah, exactly. No. No. No, I don't 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 think there was a dream sequence. She was categorically dead at the end. Guys, if you know, can you write into us? Because I don't really want to watch. If anyone understands this. Howling 2 again. Richard, I'm assuming you've watched this movie. (laughs) Explain to us how come Karen came back to life as a werewolf in this movie when we thought she was categorically killed at the end of the first one. What did you like in this movie, though? Ooh. Did you like mm. anything in this movie? Mm. Well, the overuse of boobs really confirmed that I'm definitely a homosexual, just to put that out there. Just kind of like, I was a bit like, oh, no, don't do anything for me. So that was quite clarifying. Was quite, <laughs> quite, quite, quite a learning curve. <laughs> just in case I was a bit like, oh, I want, no, definitely not. No, Boob, do nothing not for into me. that. Not into that at all. Do you know what? I actually think some of the makeup stuff in this, not the monkey werewolves, but some of the practical, you know, when they're in bed and that, they're between that werewolf and human. Are you talking about the threesome scene? Or are you talking about generally in transformations? Well, just, no, in the threesome scene. I didn't want to use the word threesome, but yes, in the threesome scene where they're like (laughs) rubbing each other and kind of ah, each other and biting each other in midair. I thought the makeup, some of the makeup scenes and that was great. And I really liked the yeah. makeup and the special effects with the priest when the thing crawled into his mouth. I thought that head looked pretty good for the 80s. I didn't think it was. Yeah. I thought some of the special effects were good. Some of it was awful. Some of it was really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, uh, is it Jude Omen, the guy who played the ma- main male werewolf in it? He's, um, mm-hmm. he's an Italian actor or Spanish actor. Um, I think he's Italian. When the makeup artist was sticking on the fake hair on him, he had to sing opera aloud because he's actually a trained opera singer to stop him getting an erection while the makeup artist superglued hair to his penis. I thought that was quite yes. funny. Because they hadn't really thought it through no. and clocked that this, because it was a sex scene, it was going to be a nude scene and therefore he would mm. be nude. And at no point in the costuming had they provided him with any sort of codpiece or sock or anything to cover his modesty. So the only option they had was to cover it in fur. They had bags and bags of fur and that was it. Yeah. But, you know, I guess even in that situation, if somebody's kind of tickling your junk, there's going to be a reflex reaction to that. So I don't think he was necessarily particularly turned on by having... Him himself turned into uh, a werewolf for a threesome, but I, yeah, yeah. It, you know, fake hair is tickly. Um, I kind of liked the attempt in this movie. Like I've seen a lot of early eighties horror and mid eighties horror, and a lot of it is freaking awful. Mm. And there's a few little gems buried among all those kind of weird straight to VHS kind of horror sequels and. You know, I think what they had to do when they filmed this in another country and language barriers were a massive thing while filming this and they got on with it and they came up with a final product. Kudos to you. You went out, you you, you came back with something. That is watchable. It is watchable. I'm not saying it's a bad movie and I'm sure there's fans of the film and, you know, I have seen a lot worse. Um, So one of the things I did, you know, and the second viewing of it, I appreciate it a lot more. Like, I'm a massive fan of The Howling. I think The Howling is one of my favourite werewolf movies, along with uh, American Werewolf in London. And one day we should cover American Werewolf in Paris. That is like this movie. It takes a very mm. different turn. Um, 
So when I first watched the how, so I only discovered the Howling like about three years ago, and it has become one of my favorite werewolf movies. And I watched The Howling, then I watched within days, I watched The Howling 2 straight afterwards. So for the contrast, I did what you did when you were reviewing him for this movie. Um, the contrast, it's quite a shift. And if you enjoy the first one and to watch this straight afterwards, it's quite a hard pill to follow. But if you yeah. watch it as a single entity, it's not that bad. Okay. But what did... What did you like about it? So, I think this film has a very gothic vibe to it, yep. which you see that in a lot of other horror films of the 80s. So, when I was watching it, one of the things I wrote down in my notes was, what's the chronology between this movie and The Lost Boys, for example? Yep. Because that opening scene in the club uh, with your man from Alfida saying pet, Jimmy Nail, American yeah. audiences are like, who the fuck is that? But British audiences, he is in you watch this and you, in... like, five minutes in, you're like, oh, Jimmy Nails in it. Oh, not for long. Yeah, but he's also in a Vita. He does make his way in certain Hollywood movies. Yes, yes. But he's not mainstream in America, no. I think, in no. the way that he's he's not as recognisable in America as he is here. Yes. Um, but that scene at the beginning and all of those club scenes, of which there are many, um, mm have that kind of Lost Boys vibe to it. And this movie came before The Lost Boys. Now, I'm not suggesting that The Lost Boys was heavily influenced by this movie at all. How very dare you. You but, leave Joel name out of your mouth. No, but, well, the thing is, so Philippe Mora, not specifically uh, about The Lost Boys, although I think he did mention The Lost Boys, he, he takes credit for the... Um, sunglasses indoors look that a lot of the kind of monster horror movies of later in the 80s took on because Sybil Danning wears those iconic sunglasses in one scene in this movie now to be fair I think it's a little bit cheeky for him to take that credit because the reason she's wearing those sunglasses is that she had conjunctivitis and they didn't have time or money to reschedule the shoot so they were like just put some sunglasses on wear those and she's like but it's indoors and he's like yeah but you're the werewolf queen you can do whatever the fuck you like put the sunglasses on bitch did she film. get the pink eye from all the fake hair that was stuck to her face because i get God pink knows. eye if my dog lays on my pillow too much i get why well, it's from eye yeah happy. all those yeah. werewolf orgy scenes yeah or maybe from the actual orgy scene at the end where the uh the extras who did not speak english very well misunderstood the brief and decided to have an actual orgy <laughs> and didn't cut All when they the were ages. asked to cut because they were having a marvellous time. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, she ended up with Kai from Summit. Yeah, I don't want exactly. to think about what. And so she wore those. Uh, that's why she's wearing those iconic sunglasses. And that look did carry through into some yeah. of the other horror movies of the 80s. There is a definite vibe. I'm not saying that this movie started that by any means, but... You can see the connection in terms of the the tone with this movie and others. So I, I think it's not that much of an outlier in that respect. And I like that vibe in this movie. I also want to speak in defense of Reb Brown a little bit because he, everyone slags him off in this movie. This is the guy that plays uh, Ben. Ben? Like characters' names haven't really made an impression on me in this movie, no. I have to say. The brother of... The sister, he's a werewolf. He's not bad in it. 
And he's, he's quite even in the eye. Everyone goes on about how crap he is in this movie and how wooden he is. And I think if you look at the material he's got, he's mm. got very limited dialogue. There's not much for him to work with. I think no. he gives a very acceptable performance. He is quite easy on the eye, as you say. And like with a lot of movies that we've covered, he's gone from this into his next project, which was um, Death of a Soldier, which was also directed by Philippe Mora. And he got nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Dramatic Role by the Australian Film Institute. Well, so, what can you argue with that? It, yeah, he's not a bad actor. It's not a great performance in this movie. No one turns yeah. in a great performance. Christopher Lee doesn't turn in a great performance in this movie. No. It's because they're limited by the material, I think. But I do want to speak up in his defence because I think a lot of people go on about how wooden he is and how bad an actor he is. And I think that's not a fair analysis of his performance in this movie. I yeah. also think um, Annie McEnroe as Jenny, again, I think she's her performance is very acceptable. She's got a bit of a Jamie Lee Curtis look about her. I wonder if that was part of the casting decision because obviously Jamie Lee Curtis was a huge screen queen at this point in the early 80s. Yeah. So I don't know whether they saw that and cast her for that or whether they cast her and then went, oh, if we change her hair and get her to kind of hold herself in a certain way but that, there was that haircut was just big in the mid 80s yeah but she definitely yeah, was giving me jamie lee curtis yeah uh, i didn't think she vibes. was bad either i don't think anybody is awful in this movie i just don't think i think the thing what lets this movie down if we're going to cross over to things that we don't like is that okay? yeah let's do it um yeah. my main fault with this movie is the fucking editing snap it's yeah. my main issue with this movie is the fucking screen swipes that change from <laughs> like a 1970s TV sitcom. I've got some to... new software for the editing. Can we use yeah. it? This is like the kit I bought when I used to edit things in college. Kind of like, oh, we can make it twirl into the next scene or we can do a yeah. side swipe. It just takes you out of the movie. It just it takes does. you out of the movie. And that weird caption halfway through. I thought was very weird. Like I, the caption at the beginning, I didn't mind that said that we were in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but there was a weird caption about halfway through where, and it had followed an evening scene. There mm. was an evening scene. And then we saw um, Ben and Jenny went to bed. And yeah. then the next scene is daylight. Like there's like a cut to some scenery early morning. And then it's yeah. them in the daytime. And a caption comes up saying, the next afternoon, I'm like we don't need that. We don't need with the that. sense to be able to work that out for myself. It was night time. Now it's daytime. Probably, it's the probably next think day. everybody's stoned while they're watching it and a bit like, oh, what's going on? Well, but, you know, maybe maybe they were stoned when they were making it was the issue. And the, and the constant the constant but, editing of editing the concert scene in throughout the movie when we had moved past Los Angeles yeah. was bonkers. And also going back to that death clock. Well, I didn't mind as much, but after a while, I got a bit bored of seeing the close-up of that fucking death clock. The clock with the yeah. skeleton and stuff on it. It just, it was overused. I felt like it was yes. filler. It didn't need to be there. I'd rather have pretty shots of Transylvania or, you know, or wherever we were. I feel like we could have just had nice outgoing shots of things like that or a castle or something yeah. else. Or, you know, they think they could have come up. The editing is my main gripe with this movie yeah because i think apart from that like i even enjoyed the the little actor that um that they were trying to rip off um don't look now no what's that movie that you made yes don't look now i was there now now. i was a bit bit like 
this is um, trying to severely rip off Don't Look Now because it's like Christopher Lee chasing the little dwarf guy. And I was a bit like, oh, yeah. I feel like I've seen this before. But, you know. <laughs> but better. But better, yeah. Um, also, some of the decisions on some of the things. Was, but one of the things that really made me stood out was when um, she comes in and sucks the soul out of the virgin when she's an old lady. Yes. And then, and then when she turns into the beautiful like priestess afterwards and she rips off that gown she's got this silky number underneath with stilettos and i was like so you're telling me that old granny came in wearing stilettos and that little silky number outside that cloak i was a bit like the thing with that is that supposedly yeah the old woman was never really transformed into sybil danning it was just that she gave it was a i guess a mass hallucination it was like a um go on like a mask. I'm, I'm, intrig- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I can't think of the words that I need. So, I, hang it on. Earlier. I should on. have copied well, and copied it from well, when well, I saw well, it earlier and then I'd have the words. Well, well, hang on. So you're telling me that the old granny is still there and the sexy lady is the hallucination or the other way around? Yes. Yes. So the granny is there, which is why when Stefan meets up with her at the end, when we cut to his point of view, we see the old lady. <gasps> Oh, because he oh, knows fuck, her. That's quite the illusion, clever. The illusion doesn't work on him because he knows her See, better than anyone been better, else. What would have been better when she was having the threesome with the other two werewolf people? If we had a cut scene of them grinding on the old lady, I might not have slept Nobody for a week. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Everyone would rather see Sybil Dunning's tits than that. Even you. Yeah, but can you imagine just like okay, this is really wrong. <laughs> Could you imagine? Some like teenage boy rented this from the VHS. It's nineteen eighty seven. And he's mid go, like, and then halfway through, he's cut to the old lady, <laughs> just at the point of no return, oh. and then that. Happened. Oh, bless! No, this is why they Can didn't you do that. Ten years later, therapy that. bills have gone up because they're still mentally disturbed and jerking no. aside this old lady. But oh, I think that, that was Philippe Mora's vision of how that was. But it, that it's makes not sense. clear. That's why the stilettos and the outfit afterwards would make yes. does make sense now because the, we're seeing because this it's sexy, not reality. It's not reality. He's just seeing it's an illusion. It's but an then illusion. when when Stefan meets her, he sees her as she really is, which is still the old lady. Oh fuck! I'm going to increase my score, Claire. I'm going to increase my score. That's quite clever. Well, yeah, but the <laughs> fact that yeah, but the fact that you, as a fairly intelligent man who watches a lot of these sorts of movies didn't see that and i didn't see it either i literally no. while i was researching found it buried yeah, somewhere i think it's on tv magic, tropes or something but that's the magic of hollywood at the end of the day your love of films doesn't just come from watching the movie it's meeting afterwards and discussing the movie it makes you yeah. from different people's point of view i think that's quite a clever point of conversation so see, my crazy that... deep dives have a purpose i do i i didn't even read that i'm i'm pretty blown away hang on let me increase my score <laughs> but I Claire, think I read it, or maybe I just had a crazy like fever dream after I saw the movie and made it. We're up. going with it. We're going with it. it. I think it's great. No, I think I did read it. I think I saw it on like TV tropes or something. I'm going to have a look and see if I can find it. So, so yeah, that's that's what that was. Um, okay. But I do I agree with you about the editing. I think it's it's very scrappy, and I think, yeah. like you say, some of the special effects don't aren't as effective as in the first movie and the fact no. that they have to get around that by using extreme close-ups or 
really wide shots they can't do like a normal distance shot because it would show mm. up how shonky the transformation is particularly when the transformations were done so well in the first movie yeah it's which is then the other thing that i don't enjoy about this movie is it as a sequel yeah. i think as you say as a standalone movie i haven't watched it as a standalone movie i've only watched it as a sequel a couple of days after watching the first movie yeah and it does not stand anywhere near the first movie no exactly. it is That's not a good sequel it. no it's but it's, as a standalone 80s horror film yes if you're happy to take it as it is yeah it's it's fine it is what yeah. it is but as a sequel to the howling it mm. i'm curious as to how six more howling movies got made after this one someone was clearly happy with it because they commissioned howling three they rehired philippe mora to make it so they were clearly happy with the outcome of this movie um i haven't watched any of the others in the franchise maybe i will maybe if you watch from howling two onwards it feels more cohesive but howling one and howling two do not go together as a pairing of movies is is my main issue with it so claire what how many howls would you give the howling to your sister is a werewolf out of five i'm gonna give it one and a half which sounds a little bit stingy but then out of five that's the same as the 30 odd percent that the critics were giving it on rotten tomatoes and it's significantly more than the 14 percent that the audience was giving it on rotten tomatoes it it's not a great film. It's no. not a film I would necessarily want to watch again, but yeah. I don't begrudge having seen it. It's just the fact that it's it. It's, it's a, a difficult watch. It's not an easy yeah. film to watch because of the way it's edited and it doesn't really stand up as a sequel to the first movie, which is much better. So for that yeah. reason, one and a half out of five. How about you? Well, I've I mean, up and down about this because on the rewatch for the podcast and watching it as a single entity, I enjoyed it a lot more than the first time I watched it as a sequel. Mm. So taking that into care, and I'm a massive Howling fan, and I'm also a massive Joe Dente fan, so I feel like watching this straight afterwards felt like I was kind of shitting on Joe Dente as well. So it was a bit kind of like, ugh, stick through the heart. Um, I do own the Howling 3, and I've owned the Howling 3 on Blu-ray for the last three years. And I still haven't watched it because of <laughs> the taste of the howling too. It's in my mouth. Still. Taking that one into consideration, I would give it two point two howls out of five. It's ooh. just, oh, just kind of like I. I, I didn't realise we were splitting smaller than half points. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do two point five because that's like fifty percent. And I was like, oh, it's not there. It's not yeah. there. So that's Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf for you. Listeners, please take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And tell us what you thought of the movie. You can leave us a comment. You can email us on unlovedsequels at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at unlovedsequels. So it's goodbye from me, Michael. And from me, Claire. Take care, guys. Bye. (laughs)